If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. I'm Caleb. And I'm Shivneet. Today, we are going to start talking about the complex, deep, and wonderful lore of the Borderlands universe. But first, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, my name is Shivneet, obviously, and I may not be what you guys are used to, if anybody's listening to Lore Party. So I'm from the Esports Business Podcast, which is which is owned by Top Score Solutions. So Top Score Solutions is a company originally started by my co-host Ben. And he originally started the company as a consulting company, but given what esports is right now and the youth of it, we switched our direction to more content creation, interviews, kind of Instead of consulting, we've done a lot. We've tried to hit all the other ends of esports, you know, sports management and just sort of everything else that esports has to offer. Specifically, what I work with is I would, I am, my role is I'm a co host of the esports business podcast. We, our small blurb is that we connect the principles of business and sports management to the esports industry. And essentially, what that means is we interview companies, um, startups, we interview people that have started certain initiatives in esports like one of our earlier guests was um dr Craigie, and he's a he's essentially working with youth and he's learned he's doing video game based learning and he's trying to put esports initiatives on the like maybe middle school and high school level for kids and making esports more normalized whereas a lot of people growing up playing video games like myself and a lot of people listening to this maybe their parents were always like oh You'll never get anything out of video games, like being invested heavily in video games, blah, 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 blah. Like you've heard it all before. But I think now more than ever, we're at the state where esports has a legitimate career and we try to expose our listeners to that. So we kind of put businesses on the forefront. We give them a platform with the esports business podcast and we try to, you know, challenge them a little bit on what their company does in esports, their involvement and kind of their journey. Yeah, so so it's kind of like a putting like esports as a like as a rising industry, kind of putting it in a position where people who may not have noticed it or taken it seriously can do so. Oh, for sure. So yeah, specifically in terms of the podcast, definitely we we have like we've had a like I said a wider range of guests, and it's definitely exposing people to the esports industry, not just as something that's like hype filled, but it's like this is something that's gonna stay for a very long time given the amount of investment. I mean, esports is projected as a whole to be like a multi-billion dollar industry very soon, given Overwatch League, given League of Legends, given Fortnite. I mean, we can go on and on and on. 
the esports industry has given a lot of notoriety towards a lot of jobs that other companies have already sort of set in. Esports industry needs accountants, they need data analysts, they need managers, they need CEOs, they need all of this stuff, just like any other industry. And I think what our podcast seeks to do is just kind of expose all of that to everybody and understand where a lot of these people are coming from and why they've decided to pursue esports. With all of that going on, like it definitely like sounds like you and your team are just really passionate about the games that you play and the games that you watch and these worlds that these developers are constantly like creating and maintaining. And I think that's what's really interesting about uh, Borderlands, the game we're uh, discussing today, is um, Borderlands has a lot of those those like business realities and those infrastructures kind of built into it. Oh, for sure, for sure. If we're talking about Borderlands, right, it's not necessarily an esport, and I don't, you know, with the upcoming game, I mean, that's not that's not all we do, right? We also try to look at business aspects of video games, and I think with Borderlands, as, as the lore and as the setting goes, it has a lot of moving parts, and I think a lot of the major companies that we'll probably touch up on today, like Atlas, Hyperion, Doll, they definitely follow, like, basic business principles and traditions and like that's relevant in any sort of game a big part of the reason why i like borderlands as a universe is exactly like you said the fact that it's such a persistent universe where the actions of individuals and larger factions do have lasting effects as the series goes on and um so like to reiterate stuff like that like we've got atlas we've got doll and we've got hyperion and those are three major organizations that uh, interact with each other in just, like, such interesting ways to, like, go over, like, the basic histories of these companies in-universe. Atlas was the company in the Borderlands universe discovered a vault of, like, ancient alien tech on a planet called, what is it, Promethea? Promethea, yeah. They, yeah. they, they sort of were the forefront right i mean if we're gonna get into it they kind of did all the exploration they and in some parts they got lucky and i think in business you know a lot of people get lucky in business sometimes you just sort of sometimes you're developing a product or whatever or something happens and it's kind of like just luck kind of plays its way in and i think atlas like i said got lucky discovering the early sort of iridian tech or alien technology and they just kind of integrated it they integrated into their company at a very very early level which sort of set them above and beyond all the competition, right? Compare that to, like, other corporations in the Borderlands universe. Um, eventually, uh, Dahl decides to join the fight, and Dahl um, starts looking for alien technology on other planets, including, most notably, Pandora, which is the setting for the majority of Borderlands stories up until this point. So Dahl kind of joined in on this gold rush with all these other companies, with Hyperion, with Tedior, with Jacobs, Malawan, all of them trying to find these uh, alien Iridian tech. Well, they're, they're all trying to, yeah, you said you say gold rush, and I think that's a really good term to use, right? Because mm -hmm. I think when we talk about it, I think, I think early on, Atlas was one of the people that they, they kind of just focused on their own, Promethea, and then when we get into Dahl, they went on to Pandora after I believe Atlas pulled out with the Crimson Lance and everything. I, I like I said, like if we're comparing it to video game companies now, I'd compare them to Microsoft, right? Because Microsoft was one of the very early adapters of online play. I believe the original Xbox had um, like Xbox Gold and stuff, versus when when the Xbox came out, it had, there was the PlayStation Two, there was just the Nintendo GameCube, and that was almost exclusively LAN, right? And when you look at Doll, they brought a lot of infrastructure to Pandora. They brought 
mining companies. Like, I mean, they were a mining company originally, but they mined like they brought mining rigs, they bought settlements, they had labor that was con- convicts, right? They had essentially f- free or like very low paid labor, and they brought a lot of settlement onto Pandora very early on. And I think that's one of the cool things that you can draw comparisons to. I mean, as Microsoft as a whole, but like specifically Xbox and their line of gaming. They brought a lot of online infrastructure. I mean, they kind of showed people like this is what gaming should be eventually. A little bit more of that too, like starts tying back into uh, how Doll comes in. Doll started doing that, but then uh, Doll ended up uh, leaving Pandora because they weren't able to find the vault, which actually ends up setting the stage for a lot of uh, the Borderlands story as we know it. Because the majority of the uh, psychos and mercenaries and bandits that we find were originally a doll or um, Atlas employees um, who were brought to the planet as a convict uh, laborers. I mean, that's why a lot of the weapons you get, right, when you kill, I mean, just as like a gameplay thing, but like when you go to these old mining stations and stuff, a lot of the weapons that the bandits drop, quote unquote, like unsurprisingly, they're doll. Like, and even, even in the loot boxes that they store around the area, it's a lot of them are doll specific loot boxes. I think Borderlands 2 has the green doll loot boxes, right? Those are all doll. Like, doll's influence on Pandora, from my perspective, is one of the most, is the most story impacting. Um, Absolutely. And I think, I think that's where, that's where you get to like, look at why everything is the way it is. And that's when you start playing as Roland, Lilith and all of the, in the original Borderlands character. Doll Corporation ultimately left, and that's what set the stage for a lot of the world of uh, Borderlands. Yeah, what Pandora is, what we see, what we see of Pandora in the, both of the Borderlands universes is a result of Doll's actions on Pandora, right? They weren't necessarily looking for the vault originally, right? They went on as to harvest resources, to harvest, um, what essentially what can Pandora bring the most out of and their heavy investment in this planet that's very harsh environment, right? Like the equivalent would be us trying to go to Mars, like humans trying to go to Mars to like mine resources. But as we know, Mars is a very harsh planet. There's no water, very little water. There's obviously no like life on there. And I think what Dahl's intention was originally was to get a bunch of resources and they sort of covertly were looking for a vault hidden on um mm-hmm. Pandora, right, with Dr. Tannis. I believe she was one of the main, and we get to see a lot of Tannis' character in 1 and 2, but she was one of the main driving forces behind the vault key, and she eventually finds a piece of the vault key, correct? Uh, Yeah, and like as Borderlands goes on, she eventually finds the, uh, with the aid of the vault hunters, assembles the vault key. (laughs) So like in the light of all this like uh, gold rush, she ultimately ends up using this vault key to um, open the vault and finds it doesn't contain alien weapons unless tentacles attached to an alien count as weapons. And so it contains a weaponized alien. Um, Yeah, a weaponized alien. There we go. That's what I would call it. And then eventually the vault hunters have to fight off. And that sort of domino effects and triggers everything else, right? In Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel and... Uh, tales from the borderlands as well right that sort of domino effects everything kickstarts like oh there's other vaults and each of the vaults have like specified certain like monsters and like the like the main vault in borderlands 2 i believe is called the warrior right the 
the the creature behind that. And it definitely like gets even more like stiff as far as just like the way the companies uh, interact with each other and the way they're just interacting with these vaults as it goes on. Because then uh, that's when we get into uh, Hyperion uh, starts entering the game a little bit more seriously. Now Hyperion had actually been unbeknownst to possibly even them pulling a lot of the strings from even early on. Because even as a low-level programmer, uh, Handsome Jack was actually, or the man who would become Handsome Jack, um, was actually pulling a lot more strings than anyone realized. Because uh, he was he was the father of a siren, and the siren gave him kind of a insider info into where this vault was. He, he guided the Vault Hunters to open the original, the Vault of the Destroyer. After the Vault of the Destroyer opened is when Iridium started appearing en masse across the planet, which is where Hyperion got power. Jack then basically sent Hyperion to mine the Iridium, which turned out to be incredibly valuable, and they used the Iridium to power, um, to repower Tannis's Vault Key. Yeah, I think I think the cool thing is with when, now that we're getting into Hyperion, the whole Iridium E Tech is super cool, right? Like, from my knowledge, Hyperion essentially licensed Iridium and E Tech to Malawan and a lot of the smaller gun companies mm-hmm. that we see, and I think that's one of the that's one of those cool moments where you see like a business principle kind of getting applied, right? Like licensing in Pandora sounds crazy, right? Yeah, like in terms of how lawless it is, but. Hyperion has such a strong iron grip on the Iridium tech that they are able to essentially say, if you want to use our tech, you're going to have to charge, we're going to charge you and all profits you get on this tech, we're going to take a percentage because we are Hyperion. And if you, and and if you dare try using this technology, we'll crush you. And that's, what's uh, interesting seeing some of those uh, aspects get played out. Well, you, when you look at it, you would, you would think that why doesn't Hyperion just sell their own e-tech weapons? Well, they did. But they understood as a company, right, like basic principles going, business principles going through, that your reach is better when you collaborate with smaller companies that can spread your spread your tech and spread, you know, what Hyperion does while also profiting off of them. Hyperion doesn't necessarily want to be involved in Pandora's under quote unquote underground market or some of the lower level markets. You just don't have the they just don't have the damn time. Right. I mean, they're. They're creating robots, they're creating claptrap units, and they're doing all this crazy stuff, and they're trying to harness the power of Iridium tech. Why not just have smaller businesses spread your stuff while also making money off of them? And if you can't make money off of them, just crush them. So I guess the ultimate question is, like, do you feel like the companies in Borderlands, do you feel like they just have interesting parallels to how companies might interact with the real world? Or do you feel like what we see in Borderlands is how, in a world similar to Borderlands, how companies would act? Like, do you see a lot of realism in there or, like, more just interesting parallels? I think when you're speaking specifically for the Borderlands universe, I think you can only really, truly try to draw parallels, right? I think, I mean, and the, the realism, you can reach and you can say that this is how, kind of how it works. And I think, I think other than like very, very basic, basic kind of business practices. I mean, if you want to keep going deeper and deeper into the into what the real world is, you find it that Pandora follows less and less of that track, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, Pandora has an economy; they have a currency, but I mean, people steal and loot all the time, and it's just kind of like that's not really what happens in the real world. I mean, circulation through guns. I mean, 
we have a company, right? Marcus Ammunitions. Their whole MO is taking guns that are already have been sold and sort of just reselling it. Right? We don't we don't have any companies that sort of just resell stuff that people have already made. And I think the other interesting thing that um, is interesting to follow, though, as far as just the parallels between how the uh, Borderlands companies work and how real world companies work is uh, also some of the uh, this whole branding thing that a lot of the companies do. Definitely, definitely. Right. All of their I mean, going back to the Marcus ammunitions thing, like they I believe every time you buy a gun from that little uh, the little box or whatever, the, the vending machine. He always quotes like some company's motto or branding, right? It's like if you want to stay accurate and you never want to reload, you know, buy like a so and so. If you want to do this, blah blah blah. blah. And I think Doll Hyper Doll has their branding with the signature green. I think they've really cornered like like I, like it's it's really weird talking about it, but like they've sort of colored they've sort of cornered the color green in all of their mm-hmm. all of their guns. And you look at Hyperion, they have the revive stations. Right, Doll also, I believe, developed the HUD that Borderlands people use right now. Like, the, like your in-game HUD, Doll actually develops it. Doll is Doll is the people who kind of formed and created Echo and the Echo Net and all things related to Echoes. And if that isn't branding to its best, then I don't know what is. Right? If that isn't advertising to its best, if you don't see, if like, if you like seeing your health and seeing your, I mean, if we're if we're looking at it not just from a gamer looking at your screen, but I'm assuming Lilith, Roland, and all of them see their HUD, they see their shield, they see their health, they see their gun ammo and everything. If that's not marketing done right, then I don't, you know, that's advertising. Constantly seeing the reminder of everything and notice that it's doll, that's 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 just marketing and advertising and branding done best. And Hyperion does it with their revive stations and their technology and their e-tech. I think, I think yeah, I think you touch up on a really good point. And then we see that too with a... Just the the unique niches that uh, the other companies try and meet, like the the smaller weapon companies, like do try to fill their niches. Like Malawan has kind of an art artistic vibe to it, and Vladoff has kind of a revolutionary vibe to it. And obviously, like we could go on about the mechanical and functional differences between these weapons, but like the artistic differences alone just lead to just this really interesting perspective of the way that business works in the Borderlands universe to whatever Oh, yeah, degree. for sure. Stylistically, right? I mean, you touched up on two, Jacobs. Or not, uh, Jacobs is sort of like the Wild West kind of, you know, like they're sort of, they're, they're like, they're nitty-gritty. I mean, you have like all these other sort of, com- like, I wouldn't, I, I don't know if Bandit, quote-unquote, is necessarily a gun company, but Bandit is sort of like high, they're nuanced by like high magazine size, high damage, kind of like just crazy crazy designs on the guns and then, i mean if we're definitely talking about branding and individual gun companies i have to mention torg right mr torg as just like macho man randy savage pretty much is who he is yeah. right if any if any of us a little bit older if they watch wwe back in the day hopefully you guys know that if you don't then i suggest looking that up but yeah he's essentially done solo branding for torg company right he is both the CEO and the face of the company, which is really rare, right? I mean, if you look at Apple, right, Steve Jobs was sort of the face and he did a lot of the work. He did a, some of the work in terms of the business aspect, but I think Wozniak was really the, like, as people would say, Wozniak was the brains behind Apple and he did a lot of the tech. That's how it kind of works in a lot of companies. 
Yeah, and like, and you definitely see like different aspects of that with a lot of the way the the weapons interact. What it leads to is a universe that, even though it's not always entirely point for point accurate about the way that companies and corporate branding interact, it actually does serve as inter. Like I said, these interesting parallels, these interesting similarities, and um, how much the the companies and their actions alone make this universe so much more complex. You know, gives it this sense that, like, every little logo you see has a story behind it. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you go through playing the game, every little echo recorder you pick up has some sort of story, right? And if you look at just any of the stations, any of the settlements, I mean, you can look at... If you if you explore hard enough, you'll see doll signature on some stuff. And so just having, just having that much detail and that much thickness and, like how these worlds got built and having that this much background in how these companies that like you you hear their name a lot but you only see their involvement in like indirect ways you see the results of their actions more than you see their actions which i think like leads to in this interesting richness of the world it it almost reminds me of like a corporate lord of the rings where, like, Lord of the Rings has this sense of, like, history behind it. Yeah, yeah, it's chaotic structure, right? Like, that's what that's what, that's what what comes to mind. As chaotic as the Borderlands universe is, it's also very structured in a weird, in a weird sort of way. Yeah, it's structured, but, like, Lord of the Rings has this uh, world where um, everything that you see, it just has this, like, rich history behind it. Like, every town and every, like, and so, like, Lord of the Rings is, like, shown as being the result of this long-standing history that you only ever get hints of as you pass by a set of ruins. And that's a lot, little bit of what Borderlands is almost like a corporate version of that. You're not passing by these like ancient stone ruins of a once great Dwarven Empire. You're passing through these ruins of these like once great mining towns and companies and how everything is, this whole world is built on the ruins of another. Hey, it's Abu, executive producer of Lore Party. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, maybe take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.